This week we deal with a impertinent cat. <laughs> he runs back out. This week we kick off the Halloween season and dare to ask the question, what is a screwhead? What is a screwhead? Wait, no, hold on, it's starting. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Boo! Hello, satirists, and welcome to Scares and Satires, our annual Halloween scary, spooky, scary event for Swords and Satire. I'm your spooky dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel. Here with some of my favorite ghouls. The dubious hag, Jack Olander, here to cause mischief once again. And... I'm Chelsea Hollowell, and I am so startled right now. <laughs> I think we're all startled, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure that our listeners are also going to be startled, because this week we started off with a real spooky movie, 1992's Army of Darkness. Wow. Did you feel those chills just now? <laughs> Down and up my spine. So epic. This is a really epic film, and I'm really looking forward to getting into it with you guys. But I'm also terrified because all the ghosts and goblins are coming out for the spooky month of October. My favorite time. All of our favorite time. It is both the time I fear and wait in excitement for. Well, the the line between uh, pain and pleasure is a thin line indeed. That's true. As we well know from, uh, you know, the sages. Yes. Human flesh in my stomach and pumpkin spice lattes in my veins. (laughs) This time keeps me alive. Yes, it is time for pumpkin spice. We had our first pumpkin spice lattes. That's right, because we're all basic witches. Yes. Yes. Okay, so here we're going to go into the summary of the movie. Is it a spooky summary? It's a satirical summary. Close enough. Horrifying. (laughs) I'm scared. So, the Army of Darkness takes viewers on a medieval romp through Arthurian legend. Try to say that three times fast. Arthurian legend, Arthurian (laughs) legend, Arthurian legend. Major success. (laughs) Screw you. Uh, ancient blood feuds and a quest for a spooky magical artifact. The Necronomicon! Oh. Ex Mundi! Oh. I guess it is a little spooky. Yeah. Hail to the king, baby. <laughs> In this historical meat cute, Ash is transported back to 1300 AD through a mystical portal when he meets the lovely and fiery Sheila. A true will-they-won't-they scenario. Hell-bent on returning back to his own time, Ash reluctantly agrees to retrieve the Necronomicon. Very reluctantly. Which contains a spell that could help him get home. 
and much-needed knowledge that would help Arthur and his people in their battle against the Deadites. Yeah, but screw them, though, you know? It's true. Mm-hmm. 80% brash swagger and 20% clever ingenuity that hits the mark about 50% of the time. <laughs> Ash is not the hero the people need, but he's the best they're going to get. Yeah, I don't think he's the one they want either. No. <laughs> Uh, especially not in the epic battle against the Deadite army that they all have to face. Don't forget evil Ash. We'll talk about him later. We watched Ash battle personal and literal demons in his fight to maintain sanity and return to his normal life as a clerk at S-Mart. Shop smart. Shop S-Mart. Exactly. (laughs) So guys, I have a a confession to make. I love this movie before I ever even saw it. Oh wow! Because explain. because at uh, at the Payless near our house, uh, when I was a little kid, they had a Army of Darkness poster with the iconic "Trapped in Time, Surrounded by Evil" low on gas quote. And I just I don't know why, but I loved that from the very first time I saw it. And I mean, you know, it didn't hurt that it's got this awesome you know painting with Ash and the chainsaw and like zombies and all this cool stuff. But yeah. For some reason, that quote just always stuck with me. For those of you out there who aren't familiar with Ash from the Evil Dead series, he's missing a hand, which he has cleverly replaced with a chainsaw. It's definitely what I would do if I lost my hand. Yeah. yeah. It's useful for a lot of things, like cutting. Mostly cutting deadites. Yeah, yeah. It's true. And he carries his boomstick around. Yes. Proudly. (laughs) It's true. A very helpful tool in his day-to-day life. Which is not very calm and not very nice. <laughs> but he takes it with stride, I think. Yeah. He, he mostly stays positive throughout the movie. He's kind of got that, uh, that gumption, that working class grit that kind of uh, perseveres throughout his whole persona. Um, I think he has a, a couple moments of doubt, especially when he's trying to find the Necronomicon and or trying to unlock the, the power of the Necronomicon with his uh, iconic uh, magical words. Mm-hmm. It's true. This is the time when we go into the gore of the podcast, where we talk about all things spooky. These are the meaty chunks you've been waiting for. Exactly. Spattered all over your face, like buckets of fake blood in any Evil Dead movie. <laughs> like a pit. That has a geyser of blood spewing endless buckets and gallons across a medieval landscape. Yes, of course. That's just the way it was back then. Yeah, in those days. Human bodies contained a lot more pulp at that time. Oh, good lord. (laughs) Uh, Humans are 80% pulp, don't you know? Exactly. So I'm thinking, you know, in the last few episodes we're like, oh, it's another prophecy. Okay. So this one of the main things in this one is a prophecy. But instead of being like, oh, it's another prophecy, I think all of our movies are going to have a prophecy <laughs> because it's fantasy. So I it think we just need like to it. kind of like talk more about, okay, what is the prophecy like in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> what is this specific prophecy? Wasn't the prophecy always the main protagonist is going to overcome evil? They're the savior and they are there to... Yeah, bring the good people, raise the good people up, and vanquish the evil foes. Except Ash kind of hates the good people. He's a typical anti-hero, I would say. It's true. (laughs) I mean, yeah, he... So 
calls wait. them primitive screw heads, which I have a lot of questions about. I know. Well, before we get too much into talking about him, I did want to linger on the prophecy. Oh, so, yeah. Was it prophesized that you would linger on it? <laughs> when did you start talking about that? <laughs> it was uh, definitely something that was written about in the Necronomicon. Well, I was going to say, I think one of the things about this prophecy that I appreciate is that they actually have, like, a literary source. Like, they have a reference to this prophecy. Because a lot of times you hear, oh. oh, this vague prophecy, then we just take the elders' words for it. But in this case, I mean, the Necronomicon literally is a text that has this prophecy. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, there's drawings of him uh, with the shining light over him in the Necronomicon. And you actually do see that passage in The Evil Dead 2. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I like how these movies have that thread running through them of the Necronomicon, and then inside the pages of it, you actually kind of have the story unfolding, which is a cool little meta thing that they do. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, and actually kind of going along with the meta idea for a minute. So The Evil Dead was the first movie where they Ash went to the cabin with his friends, and they all got kind of the... Dark, got got dark power <laughs> yeah they got got by the dark power and sam raimi the director remade it as evil dead 2 as a satire of his own movie brilliant <laughs> probably the best career decision anyone's ever made in Hollywood. i think so because that's what kind of catapulted it to like a cult classic i think his awareness of the genre and of himself is it's a really a nice feature of just kind of awareness of, of the tropes of horror and everything and kind of knowing that taking yourself a little less seriously in a lot of cases is going to result in a much better reception from audiences. That Those are both qualities that the main character, Ash, does not possess. It's a knowledge true. of self or what will please his audience. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So now we can get back to talking about his anti-hero qualities. So, he is kind of an everyman. Who's a narcissist, though. <laughs> so an everyman. Yes. <laughs> he is emotionally immature. He cares way too much what other people think of him. So far, everything tracks. Yeah. <laughs> and he's always trying to bend the rules to kind of make up for his own inadequacy. <laughs> Starting to sound pretty familiar here, yeah, yeah. Um, Confident in skills that he does not have. He's kind of got a lot of dichotomous qualities. He's a he's an asshole, but he's a reluctant savior. I don't know um, if those are dichotomous. I think that those two might kind of go hand in hand. Maybe. Um, he's honest and kind of wants to do good, but he's also crass and also looks out for himself some of the time so it's it's kind of interesting i think he mostly wants to do good insofar as he knows that it's the easiest way to get what he wants i don't think he wants to do good for goodness's sake not really always he kind of has to be like guilted into doing the good acts everyone kind of has to be like wow man you're pretty scummy, and he'll be like oh oh i guess you helped me build this hand so yeah he is, I, I will say, he is a, a talented craftsperson. Like, 
he builds the hand, and I'm pretty impressed. The the mechanics of that is um, are are impressive. Yes, yeah. using an armored glove and a pulley system, which I don't know must be attached to his nervous system. His <laughs> ligaments. Yes, allows him to control this robotic metal glove, which can crush metal cups in its grasp. Yeah, it's impressive. And he just swings around like a meat hook as well. Or I suppose a metal hook. <laughs> or a metal hand, as yeah, it were. As it were. I think you're dead on with that. Yeah. I mean, for all of his faults, he is industrious and he exhibits a high amount of ingenuity. Well, this kind of leads into something that I really couldn't help but notice in this movie. That it's really very much a story of a class struggle. Uh, yeah? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Do yeah, tell. Yeah, go, tell. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, look at Ash. You've got this kind of uh, this very working class guy. I mean, he works in a hardware store. He works in in housewares, right? I mean, he's got some talents. He's got some, you know, some a little bit of technological know how. He's a tough guy. Um, very, like you said, Chelsea. Very crass and um, opinionated. Um, he goes into this. He, he travels back in time to this medieval period, and the very first thing that happens is he becomes enslaved. He The the opening narration says that he was a slave, equating working a 9-to-5 job with wage slavery, which I think is making a pretty uh, bold socioeconomical uh, statement in the part of the movie, showing mm. this hero. Then he meets a king who's dismissive of him, even though he's supposed to be this prophesized hero. There's uh, a lot of interactions early on in the movie where you see people in power mistreating people below them mm -hmm. the king mm. draws his sword from a, a retainer and kicks the guy over there's the 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 That's slave king arthur by the way <laughs> yeah i don't know if it's the king arthur or just a king arthur but i did notice that to too. Know sure. there's also the slave driver who after ash intimidates him has to shove and physically assault one of his uh assistants after Ash gets in his face and kind of emasculates him. There's just, there's a lot of things I noticed running through the movie that uh, kind of represents this class struggle, showing Ash as this working class hero who is looked down upon by those who are have a higher social standing than him, but at the end of the day, he's this necessary component. He's the one who's prophesied to help save them. You know... Mm. That's pretty interesting, actually, because he takes great pride in working the home goods section of the S-Mart. He does. Yeah, he, 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 li he likes his job. Yeah, he does. But he, he melds so poorly with people in positions of power. Because yeah. that thing about him being honest, he is honest. But he also, that forces him to speak his mind whether he should or not. That's true. I mean, I worked in a hardware store for many years. Our, our listeners probably don't know this about me because they really don't know anything about me at this point. But <laughs> but I saw some of these struggles playing out in my own 9-to-5 job or, in some cases, 6-to-6 six six job. Mm. Mm. Yeah, like what? This dynamic of uh, kind of having to toe the line between being a good company man like ash is clearly in the end he's basically a, he becomes a mouthpiece for smart in the end um and even in the beginning where he's describing his boomstick and in these kind of like salesman terms yeah um but also feeling this kind of uh tension 
where you might be, uh, in some cases, beholden to somebody in a higher position of authority to you, a manager or your boss, but there's this kind of resentment under that kind of boils under the surface, knowing that these people are in a position that, you know, you might never be able to attain. Like, Ash could never be king. He's not prophesied to be the king. He's prophesied to save the kingdom. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to, it's not going to elevate him in any significant way. No, he's an employee. <laughs> and at the end, he just wants, he wants to return. He wants to go back to this life. He wants kind to of, get back to F-Smart. That's how much it, he loves it. Exactly. <laughs> he's, but yeah. he's kind of in this cycle where he doesn't really see anything outside of that reality. Mm-hmm. Right. There is no chance for him to rise up. In his social standing. Well, much like most people kind of buy into the class narrative. So that kind of goes back to your point. Exactly. Like you, most people can't really imagine be anything outside of the narrative right. that they're told. It's true. And when he's describing his boomstick to these medieval people, he's doing it in the form of a sales pitch, which he'd probably give day to day at the Smart, describing the wood and the metal on the gun and where it's made exactly. as well. Yeah, he's so indoctrinated into this, uh, you know, this economic system that he's a part of that he's really internalized many of the lessons from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he kind of falls back into that role when he's the savior in the past, too, kind of like you're saying, because he eventually accepts that he's supposed to be the savior at least to some extent enough so that it gets him further towards his goal so he basically become a vassal for arthur and uh go on the quest as kind of one of his warriors yes and helps them in the siege against the deadites and the whole time he's working to try to maintain arthur's position and wealth and territory it's also interesting the way ash well you know when he is exposed to the system that he's not familiar with looks down upon all the people there and he calls them you know dismissive names primitive screwheads i think as we've already said which i still have questions about it's true yeah i think he also says knuckleheads and savages yep (laughs) one great thing about him being this kind of not like faded superior but kind of you know this employee sort of position it kind of they kind of humanize him a little bit because he's constantly in danger and you kind of feel it in some films it feels like the protagonist even though they're in dangerous situations there's no real like chance of them being harmed ash gets cut up and his wounds are maintained throughout the film he's no steven seagal i agree it's true yes he has cuts all over his face. I would say one of the hallmarks of the Evil Dead series is that the protagonist, Ash, is usually the one of the people who gets just brutalized the worst. I mean, he's he's always being smashed, beat on, cut up, just covered in filth and gore. <laughs> yeah, yep. It's true. He's constantly dirty throughout the film. His face is caked in like mud. And yeah. Blood from and like from the first like scene where he fights the pit witch yes to the very end he's just constantly covered in goo it's true yeah. and like it shows in the second movie like his hand he had to cut it off and in, in this movie he's still recovering 
from his wounds in the previous film. So he's already starting out at a disadvantage. But, but it kind of becomes an advantage for him pretty quickly. And he's disoriented, to your point. Yes, it's true. Oh yeah, when he's in the past, he doesn't just adapt to it right away. He has to get in a fight for him to kind of ground himself and accept what's going on. He needs something familiar to Sobering. remind him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, everything about his life, he's kind of a blunt weapon. His personality yeah. is just yeah. like a punch in your in your personality. Yeah. And the way he deals with every situation, he tries to be intellectual until he fails and then has to just kick the ass of whatever he's talking to. Or trail off and insult the other person. Yeah. <laughs> he is the prototypical American male. It's amazing. <laughs> he, he is the everyman in, in that sense. The perfect well, specimen. So, Jack, you're bringing up oh another kind of link between the second movie and the Army of Darkness. And um, something I thought was interesting in a change you see in his reaction to the uh, dark power and all the demons is that in the second movie, he's more of a survival survivor, just trying to, to not die <laughs> at first to save those around him. Good impulse. Not and, dying first, saving those around you second. Yeah. 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 And uh, he comes up with different plans that eventually fail, but they're not always like terrible plans. It's just that, he doesn't always have all the information some of the time. But so he's mainly a, a survivor. He's always reacting to everything. He's a reactionary, yes. <laughs> yes, but true. In the third movie, that's where we see him in the Army of Darkness, that's where we see him turn into a fighter or a warrior. And uh, he actually is enacting a plan to try to be the first one to take action against the Deadites. It's kind of the final culmination of this three-film arc, for where he goes from kind of scared and not really sure what to do to a little bit more confident but still reacting to situations to kind of taking proactive steps now. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's still scared, but he goes through with it anyway because he's a, he's a hero. It's true. He, he handles it much better than he used to. He's learned how to kind of push through the fear. But I think I only saw one exception in Army of Darkness mm -hmm. where he actually was so afraid that he abandoned his fighting instinct just to run away. And it was when the dark force, which is just the camera flying at him, right? You never get to see what it really is in this film. Yeah. It's so scary. That's that, how scary it is. Yeah, it's so scary that... He doesn't, like, he just turns to book it immediately, it's, both times he sees it. It's like the shark in Jaws, but even scarier, because you never see it. It's true. Yeah. It's right. But, so, if you watch the show, Ash vs. Evil Dead, which takes place roughly 30 years later, after, it's unclear, it might be after the second movie, it's unclear if the Army of Darkness is actually kind of canon with the show. But the show Ash vs. Evil Dead, you see him continuing his role as more of a fighter or a warrior rather than a survivor. And his boneheaded confidence has been amped up even farther. <laughs> it's true. He's calcified as part of his personality. But, you know, there's another interesting <laughs> message then in Army of Darkness where his main villain, the main antagonist of this movie, ends up being... Ash himself. Yeah. The the main antagonist, evil Ash, starts as these bizarre miniature clones 
who are you know able to um, overpower him to some extent until he finally finds a way to fight back. But then they eventually culminate into this evil representation of Ash that becomes his his foil. And he is to some degree fighting against himself and his own nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. And the way that the little Ashes and big evil Ash fight him are very similar to the way that Ash fights as well. Very, like, clever, mischievous, kind of, yeah. I'd say, like, street rules, kind of dirty fighting. Yeah. Where they they kind of, like, poke him in the butt with, like, a fork when they're small. And uh, they all have two hands as well. They aren't right. impaired with the one hand the way that Ash oh, is. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. It was interesting to me, the scene where they come out, that they emerge after he looks himself in the mirror. He sees his own reflection and knows that something is wrong. And that's when he breaks the mirror. But even that... He runs at it with his head. (laughs) This is is how afraid he is of himself. Of seeing himself for who he really is. This is the working class nightmare that he's experiencing. Yeah. Being afraid of... Of you know, of, of somebody else in your own position is going to take away from you. Is going to be the one who who takes your job, your position in life. There's always this narrative that you have to watch out for the other people in your cl- in your class. Maybe it could also be kind of a psychological thing that he's afraid to look too deeply at his own actions and because he had been a coward in the past and a lot of his friends died it's possible that looking at himself in the mirror kind of makes him face that part of himself and he's not ready to and um we've seen in the show there's been many instances of dialogue and times when he said talks about not thinking and just acting and he doesn't want to reflect on the past i think he if he did it would kind of tear him apart and he wouldn't be able to keep going i mean there's a very interesting line in the movie where he says good bad i'm the guy with the gun he he doesn't see himself in any kind of moral context. He just understands himself as a man of action. He's right. he has the might that makes his actions right. That yeah. is his perspective on it. More he doesn't have time for moralizing and philosophy. He's just he he needs to react to things. Mm-hmm. He's all about good his good looks and brawn. That's really what he focuses on. Not gonna lie, he's got them both. It's true. It's true. He somehow manages to win every fight. It's kind of like Jackie Chan with a chainsaw hand. Just kind of like stumbling through every fight scene and he comes out victorious. Perfect, perfect imagery. I love it. Yes. So the Necronomicon is a very thick boy. And um, it seems to always have these kind of depths to it that have yet to be examined or plunged into... Uh, every movie or in the end in the show that you see it, there's always something new that's coming out that people are finding out about. Some different spells you can do, uh, potion recipes, uh, prophecies. There's always different parts of it that have yet to be discovered. And I still don't feel, even after watching all the movies and parts of the show, I still don't feel like we've seen all of it. I mean, we we can see that evil is this bottomless cup that always has something else 
that it can spring on you. Nice. For example, at the end of the second film, when it seems like he's pretty much defeated the darkness, it, the Necronomicon defends itself by flinging him to medieval times. I don't know where the logic is with that specific action, but evil clearly thought it was the best place to spring him. Oh, I know why, and you're bringing up exactly it. I thought I noticed from the second movie to the third, or to Army of Darkness, in the past, evil seems to be a lot stronger. Oh, true. Because in the second movie, all it can really do, the like a lesser version of the dark power can kind of chase them around and harry them, and the demons possess people part of the time, but it's not it's not strong enough to kind of take over or anything like that. Hmm. So humans can still fight back against it. But in the past, people are beaten down by the evil, and it has a much greater presence. There are places where the humans just flat out won't go because the evil holds sway there. Right, right. And there's a straight up army of the undead. An army of darkness, as it were. <laughs> exactly. Oh. And the demons are, there's at least a few demons that we see in the army and there's one flying around in its true form. Yeah. And then there's evil Ash, which is kind of like a commander of the army. It, it's much stronger in the past. Could it be possibly because they have finally found a way to possess Ash and, and retake, you know, to take control of a, a version of him? Because there's an, a, there's a similar incident in uh, Evil Dead 2 where there is like an evil Ash kind of proto-evil Ash where he's, you know, going through this psychological break possibly or, or something where he is kind of going at war with himself with his hand and everything. Yeah, his hand goes bad and he yeah. has to take but, it off. But now, <laughs> now there is like the full version of him that is able to raise this titular army of darkness. Well, and when they're talking to each other, when he emerges from Ash, Ash is understandably spooked and he just starts talking to him and he says, who are you? Are you me? And the other one says, I'm evil, Ash. You're the goody two-shoes. <laughs> yeah. um, Which isn't totally true, we know. He's not that... He's not a typical, like, good guy for the sake of good guy. I, I think this is more of a, a misperception on the part of evil Ash. Probably. Makes sense. I don't think evil Ash was a very... Uh, I don't think his wisdom was very high. More on that in the can you role play it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, evil Ash is kind of all the unapologetic, you know, foibles and maybe darker aspects of Ash's personality that come out and manifest themselves. And he basically goes to war with himself. If you kind of take away the trappings of the siege, it's he and him, he's fighting with himself. <laughs> yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. And a skeleton army with a skeleton band. Oh, the skeleton band! Best part of the movie. The skele—I love when I when when the skeletons came marching in with the drums and flutes and everything. I was, I loved it. That yeah, was fantastic. That was the, the drums were other skulls. The flute with a bone. Yeah, there playing were the old couple, bone flute. There were a few flautists. Yeah, true. yeah. It was also, an evil marching band. It was mm -hmm. great. Also, one of the reasons why then was a great time for Ash to be sent to 
is because the army was not really able to rise in mass mm -hmm. until it was Ash's job to go get the Necronomicon from the graveyard. And they give him the words that he has to say, Klatu Verata Nikto. I believe it's Klatu Verata Nektai. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's so, so Ash of you. Because the wise man gives him the words, and then yeah. he's like, yeah, all right, I'll, and then he repeats it back, and then he asks him to do it again, and he says it back, and he says one more time, and Ash gets very angry. And no, I it. got it. Yeah, exactly. I know your damn words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he goes to the graveyard, and he finds three Necronomicons, and yeah. he has to find which one is the right one, and in the most comedic fashion, he has to fail twice. <laughs> He gets Rule of three. sucked into one of the books in a book sphincter and manages yep. to climb his way out. The face on the second one, the mouth bites his fingers and he has to beat it up. And it's kind of like a bird and it keeps flying back to bite him. But he beats it. Yeah. And the third one, he he waits before he grabs it. He says, oh, I got to repeat the words. He says, Klato, Verata, and then he doesn't know what the third word is, so he kind of coughs it under his breath. He's like, no, boo, boo. and right? And it, he thinks it's good enough, you know? And he, he rolled low, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and he picks it up, and that's what causes the darkness to be freed, because he tried to take the easy route. Yeah, didn't yeah. make that intelligence check, that's for sure. What that's a kind fool. of another case of him trying to bend the rules, like we were talking trying about Trying to before. just beat his way through. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I feel bad that up to this point we've forgotten about the only female character in the movie. Sheila. Sheila. Well, not the only one, but the only one of any major significance to the to the core plot here you mean the accessory to make mm. ash look cool yeah uh, that is certainly the way that they treated. treat her that's how she's treated and then she's traded over to evil ash and in a kind of a troubling moment of uh conversion yeah and then she becomes i guess evil sheila and she kind of looks like Bride of Frankenstein. It's a good look, not gonna lie. Mm -hmm. Evil Sheila, good look. Evil yeah. Ash, also good look. Yeah. And so she rides into battle with Evil Ash. And when they finally make their way into the castle, they, the siege is somewhat successful. They, they break into the castle grounds and Ash is driving around a, a car that he's turned into like a battering ram. And this is kind of the moment where we see that Ash's ingenuity is actually uh, useful. He's, he's able to create some anti-siege technology and the only failing he has in this case is uh, when he sees Sheila and falters well, that's what I was going to say. crashes the car. Uh, I was going to say that she, what she does right there is she uses his own kind of sexist understanding of women against him because she turns herself back into physically looking the way she did before she turned into evil Sheila. And there's like wind blowing her robes and hair and she looks all weak and flowy and she's calling his name. Right, she and, plays on his chauvinistic uh, chivalry. Yeah, and she uses it against him to cause him to crash, and his car blows up, and he gets really fucked up, and she just kind of slowly walks over, grabs a spear, and starts trying to totally get him with uh, it. <laughs> yeah, emasculate him physically. Yeah, that's true. She tries to go for the junk. Mm -hmm. It's true, but we do see that 
this moment of ingenuity and clever planning and training comes from him when he finally decides to actually help them out against the army of darkness and he really commits to helping these people you mean to when help they're the, preparing for the siege yeah when yeah. they're preparing for the siege to against, help the people of the kingdom yeah exactly yeah he goes into his old car which they put in neutral and push back to the castle uh, in the trunk he has a chemistry 101 book and he has them start making gunpowder the wise men alchemists and they make explosive arrows explosive catapults yeah, they put these huge whirling blades on his car, and they kind of, like, remake the engine as well. There's a scene where they're hanging it up in the blacksmithery, and uh, he's also in the courtyard with all the 60 men that did not flee the castle, teaching them how to do some spear maneuvers, where they, you know, spin around the backside to hit. And Questiona hit. Questionably effective spear maneuvers. It's yes. true, but yeah. they they all do it quite well. Mm. And in the siege, it works, because the Deadite skeletons are so silly, they walk right into it. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, the, the Deadites don't have, you know, any particular training. I think they're more of a... Uh, you know, massive bodies more than uh, any kind of innovative fighting style. It's true. They're, they're kind of like the chump enemies that you just grind the XP off of to, before you fight Evil Ash. So, yeah, they kind of plow through them. Although the humans are taking pretty heavy, heavy casualties. There are bodies all over the battlefield, not just deadites. Yeah. Yeah, it's, this is a terrible war. This war exacts a terrible toll on both sides. Mm -hmm. You just feel less bad for the undead because, you know, undead. Yeah, it's true. So, uh, after this epic battle scene, eventually they, the humans win out, and Ash is sent with, like, a special elixir that he's supposed to drink that the wise man got from the Book of the Dead. That's right. The the working class hero saves the day and is basically given a pat on the back and, and sent back. Yep. And he's supposed to repeat those same three words again, Klaatu, Varata, Nikto, uh, as he's drinking the potion. Mm -hmm. And um, that kind of leads to two branching endings of the movie. There's the theatrical ending and there's like a um an alternate ending so in the theatrical ending that's in the movie he makes it back to his time and he didn't exactly say the words correctly but he somehow still made it back to his own time and he's back in the department store defending it from the deadites that's right one one more uh battle between ash and a deadite i figure the deadite is there because he slurred the word so evil managed to follow him back once more could very well, well be yeah. mm -hmm. that's a good idea uh and then the alternate ending is he's basically immediately punished for not uh speaking the words correctly but it just takes him a really long time to under realize it because uh he says the words incorrectly he goes to sleep for like thousands of years and wakes up when Modern civilization looks like it has been destroyed at some point. Post-apocalyptic. I mean, if he knew where we, where we were going to get to today, he might have just chosen to do that anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, this is the point when we might want to talk about how we would rate the movie, our rating, in swords. We rate things in swords? How innovative. <laughs> Well, then I guess we should probably do a rating system based on one out of ten swords. That's right. Since that's a nice, even number to work with. 
And if you can't decide and have to do a half rating, then uh, throw a short sword in there. Yeah, throw throw in a short sword. I never exactly. hurts. Never hurts to have an extra short sword. It's true. Great offhand weapon. So Jamie, how would you rate this movie? Oh man, <clears throat> this one's a doozy. I really enjoy the Evil Dead films. I think that they are some of the most significant horror movies of our time. I really enjoy Ash's anachronistic character. You know, he's he's a openly flawed person. He's got a lot of really bad qualities, but it doesn't matter because he's just so damn good at using them to his advantage. I like how he uses his wits and his innovation to solve problems. I like his clever one-liners. I love um, just Bruce Campbell's, just the whole passion that he brings to the part and just the, the personality that he infuses it with is so much fun. I really basically enjoy every every part of the series. So I'm going to give this movie eight swords and a short sword. I just really enjoy it. I get a kick out of it every time. I just I like so I like it so much. Nice. So Jack, how how would you rate this movie? Oh, so well. The main character Ash is so charismatic. It makes his all his terrible flaws and character traits which if even a fraction of them show up in a different protagonist, you dislike them immediately. But all of them packed into one character, so likable. It's probably thanks to Bruce Campbell's charm. It's true. He does have the undeniable charm. Ash wouldn't be the same without him. Bruce can do no wrong. Dude, it really sells that he can cheese his way through any situation. And it's a stinky cheese, too. But... <laughs> He bludgeons his way through life, a cheese hammer, if you will. It's pretty great to see. He's so greasy, personality-wise. <laughs> and after he's covered in a bunch of goo. It's true. He, It's such a wet film and dry at the same time. And it's, it's shocking. So it's but, moist uh, and just itchy. Groovy. Yeah. And uh, so many good one-liners. He, he just makes it work, you know? He's the hero we we need. <laughs> you know what? I might be inclined to agree with. And that. uh, you know, it's pretty great. I'm gonna give it the just because I think, you know, the message is not necessarily the best. Nine swords and a short sword out of ten. Wow. Yes, I, it's quite enjoyable. <laughs> it does its job and it does it well. Yeah. So I'll go over my rating now uh i love how campy these movies are i'm so glad that the raimi brothers decided to go in a more satirical direction because actually sam and ivan worked on this piece together and i love how much fun they make of of the whole horror genre while still having fun with it and you can really tell that they did have fun i don't like the misogynistic stuff so it loses a couple points for that only and only a couple because of how great it is in general and i love that most of it is like practical effects it makes oh. it so much more visceral and compelling so much wetter <laughs> yeah so I'm going to give it 8 out of 10 swords. 
Nice. Strong ratings all around. Possibly our highest rated film of all time. It's going to be hard to beat this one. <laughs> yeah. I think we we rated Willow pretty high too, but yeah. Possibly. I believe that brings the average to eight swords, a short sword, and a dagger. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. Yes. I guess we probably should have had like ghosts for our rating this month. Oh. So maybe we'll have to keep that in mind for next month. Yes. Yeah. So... As we're coming upon the rewriting history segment of the podcast, I'd like to recommend that you go out and on whatever streaming platform you'd like, or perhaps get yourself the DVD of the TV show Ash vs. the Evil Dead, which is a follow-up to Evil Dead 2. At least. Yes. And possibly yeah. Army of Darkness. It's, it's not true. Clear. We're not through the whole first season even yet. But so far, there's been no mention of his foray into the past. Maybe he's just trying to forget. Maybe. But all the references they have been kind of going back to have been more from the second movie. Ash is forward thinking. He doesn't have time for that kind of crap. That's very true. Um, it, we had talked about this before. It is kind of difficult to think of a sequel for a series that already got kind of a sequel reboot in kind of the Evil Dead in 2013. And that's more of a reboot. And then it has it actually has a sequel in the show. Which is nearly flawless. So, I mean, we're not trying to, you know, uh, redesign the wheel here. This is a living story here. The show uh, keeps up the satirical bent very well or the you know the parody of the horror genre does a very good job of it it's still very campy the character of uh, ash's character still feels very much like the original but with some changes due to age and like he is a little different so it doesn't feel like they're trying way too hard to bring that character back it really feels like a, it could be a progression of that character it's a good organic <clears throat> approach yeah and it's still very campy, like I said. Um, since the Sam, since Sam Raimi is directing it, it it still has the same charm. But we can't leave the listeners with nothing. We can't just promote a series without <clears throat> giving them some of our own brilliant ideas. We have to regale them with some kind of wonderful content here in rewriting history. A sequel where Ash lives a very mundane life where he marries his girlfriend, Lisa. Uh, right? That's her name? And they have a beautiful... Anne? Anne? Is that no, her name? No, that's oh, not his girlfriend. <laughs> that's the daughter of the archaeologist who owned the cabin who died trying to help him in the second movie. Oh, well, I mean, Ash is just <laughs> such a, a, a force of nature. He'd probably marry both. You're right. <laughs> That'd be a very I mean, Ash ending as well. Now that we know his dream was to go to Jacksonville, Florida, maybe he would have just ended up there. That's nice. <laughs> was, uh, oh my gosh, a spinoff where they decide not to go to the cabin, and he just goes to Jacksonville, and it's just about him growing as a person, and all his flaws get worked away in the film. <laughs> I think he becomes a well-rounded person. <laughs> That's pretty good. I think we have to be careful. That could be considered spoilers for people who haven't seen Ash vs. Evil Dead, though. It's yeah. true. Uh, re spoiler alert from the future. <laughs> <laughs>
if yeah. you if you don't want any spoilers, go watch all three movies, the full show right now. Ignore all your responsibilities in life. Well, finish the podcast and then rate and subscribe to the podcast first. Of course, come back and follow as a thank you. So, if he is just in Jacksonville working on himself, I kind of imagine him becoming like an alligator wrangler. Are there alligators or crocodiles in Florida? Alligators. No fucking clue. The okay. American alligator. I, I said the right thing. I don't know why he wouldn't just be working in housewares. I mean, it, he really has a, a, a knack for that and a passion for, for home goods. Listen, if he's going to be working on himself and like working through some of his flaws, he he would have the courage to dream big. Yeah, I don't. Maybe I don't know. There's something about his just hard, strong chin that just screams retail to me. You know, maybe maybe wrestling gators or training gators is where the money is, but he still works at a branch of a local market just as a passion project on the okay. side. I can see it. I like his dirty it. pleasure. <laughs> I mean, he'd, he'd be an outstanding greeter, right? Like, you would walk in and see that chin and just, you would want to spend all your money at the store. It's true. And I would love to see, as he's training these gators, one of them bites off his right hand again. Oh, nice. It's inevitable. I like it. I like it. Nice tie-in back to the series. And then instead of a... It was his destiny to be missing his right hand. It's true. And then instead of a wooden, just kind of open right hand, it's a wooden thumbs up so he can spread the positivity at the, at, at the market where he works. He doesn't have to fight, so there's never a chainsaw. But maybe a pricing gun? Oh, nice. Pricing gun hand. uh, You're giving me an idea. So there's like a large retail store that wants to come in, like a small smart. Oh. And he... the movie is him trying to uh, help this small retail hardware store stay in business and boycott the small smart trying to come in. No, I like how you're tying it back to the working class themes of, of Army of Darkness. Very nice. And he would be very loyal mm-hmm. to his hardware store. Well, I, he could help start a union there. Right. <laughs> I want situations to constantly arise that could push him back to the original plot. Like, some goth customers come in and they're like, oh, I'm buying these candles for a dark ritual and the camera starts getting dark and the world starts shaking a little bit. He's just like, that's nice. Well, whatever you want to do in your free time, have a nice day. (laughs) As he checks them out and they just leave and he never accepts the quest offering. Yeah. Perfect. Like, he just says to kind of of to himself, what a weirdo when they're gone. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because he's very judgmental. Yeah, he yeah, is kind of judgmental. Sometimes to people's faces, sometimes just kind of on the side to himself. Well, he's got that high charisma. He can get away with it. Mm-hmm. Like, he insults you to your face, and you're like, oh, but he's paying attention to me. Yes. Oh, and in this <laughs> timeline, true. since he's well-rounding himself, he will compliment people openly to their face. <laughs> I lo- I'm so ready to greenlight this new series. In yeah. an aggressive fashion, he will compliment you. <laughs> Same judgmental tone. But... Ash and the hell and the happy life. Yay! <laughs> the happy hardware store. So yes, our our segments about role playing. Can you role play it spookily? <laughs> Oh, you 
know what? That works because I thought that a cool setting for uh, if you were going to do an adventure path based on this movie would be in um, Ravenloft. Ravenloft! Yes. Yeah. This would be an ex. I mean, you've already got the medieval setting, too. So, And there was, um, I think, a, a somewhat... Uh, obscure, I think White Wolf released released a Ravenloft, a kind of a more modern Ravenloft setting um, for third edition D and D, and and there's some roles in there or classes in there that would be uh, that would work really well for doing this. I like that idea. The dark domains of yeah. Ravenloft and the dark power of of uh, Evil Dead. Actually, there's some overlap there with the dark power. It's kind of this mysterious evil force that is kind of unknowable and and beyond the the keen of the player characters that the dm has to kind of do whatever they want to make weird things happen unexpectedly um evil ash could even be one of the dread lords of ravenloft very cool this kind of un unkillable uh prisoner inside this domain domain that they rule they both control the domain but cannot escape it i mean even Ash himself could even be a dreadlord, but I mean he's such a great, fun player character too. I'm sure uh, you know somebody's gonna want to play this great character in yeah. the RPG. But I think Ravenloft is an excellent choice for this. My other choice would be uh, Call of Cthulhu and have Ash versus some elder gods. But... It's true. He would definitely use his arrogance and just the uh, the fact that he doesn't think about anything to kind of. Help him resist insanity, which is a big part of Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Because it hel- it helps him out greatly in the series. I'm not sure that Ash resists insanity in the films, actually. I think he kind of leans into insanity in a lot of ways. You know, I yeah, he just gets kind of so mad, it seems like he doesn't, like, run away in fear. Yeah. His frustration with everything just kind of keeps him together. You know what would be cool is if you had a party with mixed alignment and you could have, somebody could reimagine Sheila in her evil Sheila form. Nice. Sorceress or something. As a a sorceress or like an illusionist. Yeah. Because Mm. she's able to kind of fool people in that way by shape changing and stuff. Very like cool. It. You could have Arthur, the the fighter, kind of, you know, the bland human fighter that every He's party needs. He's more of needs. a paladin, right? <laughs> I don't know. He wasn't a very good he wasn't very good at combat anyways. He might just be like a uh, an aristocrat or a commoner <laughs> in, yep. in D&D terms. Well, I think he was supposed to be a warrior. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, he was. They were coming back from some kind of crusade or something. Yeah, fighter or a paladin for, mm-hmm. for Arthur. Whatever flavor you prefer. I may... I think a lot of times divine classes are, are kind of restricted in Ravenloft. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would actually like to recommend something that is not a typical fantasy setting. Monster of the Week would, I think, be a perfect example. In fact, in their book, there is a drawing of Ash with his chainsaw hand shaking normal hands with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh my god, my fanfiction boner just went through the roof. Exactly. (laughs) Monster of the Week is inspired by shows like Ash and the Evil Dead, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Supernatural, many more that I fear to name. But Mm. they're too scary. But... It's not. That would be perfect. It's a great yeah. RPG system. I mean, it's it's very um, it's very open. It doesn't require a lot of preparation or um, 
you know, the, the, the books, you're not getting like reams and reams of content like with D&D. The core book for Monster of the Week really gives you what you need. And if you very love... Toit. It's very toit. If you love shows like Buffy, X-Files, mm-hmm. Ash vs. Evil Dead, uh, Supernatural, um, Fringe, stuff like that, there's, there's definitely some stuff in there. Yeah. And, you know, I always prefer Monster of the Week uh, episodes in, in these types of shows. The big overarching ones are always less interesting to me than kind of whatever, you know, like Buffy's got its great, like, uh, metaphors for teenage anxieties and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and a- and Ash vs. Evil Dead has this great class struggle thing. I think you can replicate a lot of that really well in Monster of the Week in nice episodic uh, chapters, like weekly chapters mm-hmm. for your RPG group. It's true. Yeah, and cool. call me foolish. Do it. Do it. I do All right, it. you're foolish. Ah, I knew you would say that. But personally, <laughs> I think that if I were going to put Ash in Monster of the Week, I might make him the wronged, which uh. is where the supernatural force has uh, uh, negatively affected you in the past. And I think that would oh, take yeah, form yeah, of yeah. the darkness, you know, right. messing up mm-hmm. his girlfriend and friend. Right. See, that's a nice uh, left-field choice. Better than Slayer, which would be kind of, I think, a lot of people's go-to for that The one. Chosen, mm. isn't that The Chosen? Or The Chosen. It's true, yeah. The Chosen. But The Wronged gets a chainsaw as one of their class weapons. <laughs> oh, perfect. And they are better at fighting monsters associated with the thing that has hurt them in the past. Oh, very Deadites. Nice. Very nice. nice. Or demons, you know. Evil thing depends on how how the the storyteller or the game master interprets it. It's true, yeah. It just feels right. You know, I like it. If I was gonna make Ash in D and D, I might actually go a little bit of a left field choice with like a swashbuckler, something charismatic, but also uh, fighting or fight oriented. Yeah, you'd need to have somebody with a big personality, and a swashbuckler does kind of like. I mean, that's not a mechanical thing, but it fit in your head, you know? Yeah, I mean, somebody who uses charisma to intimidate slash uh, bluff their opponents. I mean, we see Ash using intimidation with the slave driver in Mm -hmm. in this movie. Um, We see him attempting bluff checks in many of the uh, films and and shows that he's in. Uh, You don't need proficiency to try a check. He's got got that high charisma. I mean, you might as well go for it. It never hurts. It's true. I think just the things he tries to bluff aren't very, uh, very wise. Like trying he's going to, for impossible level difficulty. Trying to bluff the laws of nature, <laughs> the laws of magic. The laws of magic. You know, I don't know if you can even convince something like that. <laughs> and clearly he's not trained or proficient in any kind of arcana. But how bold of him to even try. I know, could you bluff gravity not to fall? Who knows? <laughs> he would. Why not try? He try. Yes. He might try. I, Swashbuckler is a very bold choice. And... You know, I'm I'm pretty convinced actually. <laughs> I can see it. He only ever fights one on one. I'm pretty sure in the sh- in the movie. I guess that's true in most uh, action films. <laughs> you know how it's true. You know how villains tend to very politely take on the hero one at a time. So yeah, it makes sense to me. But uh, maybe if I had to recommend a third system, Chronicles of Darkness would be pretty good. Could be, yeah. So oh, you're playing a more yeah. mundane because. Something that he's very good at, I think, is his presence. He is, we've mentioned his undeniable charisma, and that doesn't mean people like him. It just means people 
have to pay attention That's to right. him. That's right, exactly. And it is very forced. People feel like they don't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> they have to address him. And presence is... It's one of the main charisma stats that affects everything you do, pretty much. And his would just be, like, boosted. <laughs> well, I'm convinced. I'm ready to go grab my dice and start playing. So we should probably sign off here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we'd like to thank you all for joining us here on Scares and Satire. In the glorious spooky month of October. Please, if you like our show, please, please, please go on to your podcatcher and like and subscribe. Uh, Leave a review. Let us know what you love about the show and any friendly critiques you might have. And you can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram under Swords and Satire with an ampersand. Or an, I think an and probably works too. Yeah. And guys, uh, next week, boy, we've got another doozy coming up. We're going to be watching Night of the Dead. That's night with a K, like a knight with a sword, but of the dead. So is it like Night of the Living Dead? No, no, it's not that at all. Oh, oh, oh. So spoopy. (laughs) What could it be? Until next time, Hail Crom. Did you hear the part where we said Hail Crom? (laughs) Hey, I got your Crom right here.